we have been going through a series uh, called Rebuild. Um, it it kind of, it might have some positive feelings attached to that word, and there might be some not as positive feelings attached to that word, but rebuild nonetheless. And the big focus has been on just looking at what the Bible has to say about this idea of rebuilding something that's been lost or something that's been broken um, and rebuilding it to um, honor and glorify God. And we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah. Um, we're making kind of a chapter-by-chapter chapter climb through the book. Um, and so just as a point of review, our first week, you know, Nehemiah, he's this guy uh, who um, his family is from Jerusalem originally. Um, he is part of that tribe of Israel, uh, God's people. And he's originally from there, but he was living and working in uh, Persia at the time. There's a whole set of reasons behind that. If you want some more of the context, go on to our website. We have the last couple of weeks of sermons all um, updated and on there. And so we've covered some of that context of how they even got there. So he's serving in there. His family comes and he's like, how's everybody doing? How are things in Jerusalem? How are the people? And his brothers, you know, they give him the bad news of things are not good. Um, you know, the people are discouraged. The wall's decimated. It's not good. It's, it, it has not been repaired all these years that it's been in existence. And so the interesting thing that we found in week one in looking at Nehemiah chapter one was that God is always true to his people, no matter what. God is always true to his people. And that can be both in the favorable times and also the disciplinary times, as we'll, we'll talk about in just a few moments. Uh, week two, um, we fast forward four months into the future um, within Scripture, you know, just one line, boop, four months, four and a half months go by. Uh, and he's the bartender of the king, essentially. I'm using a colloquial phrase there. He's the cupbearer, right, to the king. And the king's like, why such the sad face? What's going on? You're usually happy when you're around me. You at least paint on a smile. I don't know. But, uh, but for whatever reason, he wasn't happy because of, uh, you know, well, because his people were lying in ruin, and he shared his heart with the king um, in a very vulnerable moment where it's like, yeah, things are not good. Um, how can I be happy and joyful uh, when the place of my father's lies in ruin? And so the king says, what do you want to do? There you go. Uh, and so then he gives the, he has the opportunity to actually go and help rebuild the wall. And so in week two, we found that with God's grace and help, we can rebuild. Um, and the great news of that is that it's not all on us to do it. It's uh, really with God's strength, with God's stamina, um, and with God's provision behind it. And so uh, the cool thing about Nehemiah was that he basically got the, the Persian king's credit card and said, whatever you need, go get it. You need papers to pass the, the, you know, the checkpoints. Okay, here's your papers. He got complete green light to go and do this work, and it was amazing. The third week, by the time Nehemiah arrives and he shares this with the people, they're all excited, and we get to see the people 
get to work. And we found that God rebuilds through us. The interesting thing in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that the name of God is not mentioned um, at all. And yet, because of everything that we had covered before, we know that God is doing something through these people. And so we get to see the people um, dedicating this work to the Lord. Our fourth week, we talked about, um, you know, things were all good and things were getting exciting. They even rebuilt like up to half the wall. And then they started getting a bunch of opposition. There were people uh, around the area who were not too happy that the Jews were rebuilding this wall. Um, there were probably some bad blood history over the years with different uh, tribes and other peoples um, that kind of fed into that rivalry there. Uh, but the people of God, they had people coming against them from outside. And so the big takeaway from Nehemiah chapter 4 is really the encouragement to take heart, take courage, keep going. God is our defender and strength. And at each point, what's fascinating about Nehemiah is every single moment, he is relying on the Lord. He is taking it back to God in prayer. Um, I loved uh, getting to listen to Jim's message from last week all about fasting, which was another practice that um, Nehemiah employed in his devotional life and his intercessory prayer life and all of that. Um, but with Nehemiah, his heart, his main focus that he's trying to communicate to these people at every single turn that they have opposition or some kind of thing come up is that remember God. Root yourself in God. Remember that he is your strength. I know that you're tired, but he's your strength. So rest on him and find your source in him. And that he is ultimately our defender, that he's the one who's going to rescue and save us. And that's my, my big overview review. It, it's always fun when you get, you know, a couple of weeks in and you're trying to get everybody up to speed. Today, it's going to be really fun and maybe controversial. Uh, we're, the title for today's message is called Fighting for Family. Fighting for Family. Our main passage today is going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. It's the whole chapter. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that God's good for his family is justice, mercy, and humility. God's good for his family is justice, mercy, and humility. And I get that from, uh, as I was wrestling with the text, that um, it reminded me of this verse that happens in uh, the writings of the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. Um, in My Micah 6.8, I used to uh, sing a song in youth group all about it. He has shown thee, he has shown thee. Oh, man. Anyway, it, it's all fun. But the, the, ver the verse goes like, he has shown you, oh, man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And um, I've even written, wrote in a different song about it. It's on an album on Spotify if you're ever interested in it. It's really fun. But that's, it's an interesting thing when if you were to boil everything down, what is it that God wants for your life? What is it that God wants 
you to get out of um, your human experience. And, and your human experience in relation to him is ultimately those things, to, to know what justice is, what God's justice is, and to seek that for your life, to love mercy and to walk humbly. So God's good for his family is that those three things, justice, mercy, and humility. Now, I've been trying to figure out an opening illustration to encapsulate kind of what's going on here, and there's a couple floating around in my head, so bear with me. Uh, we're going to get to the text in just a moment, but I want to kind of bring this down because I've been just talking a bunch of Bible stuff at you, and that's good, um, but sometimes we need to also see how might this apply to our lives, or how, how would this look? Um, I think I'll go with the very first one that I had thought of with this. So when Angie and I had set out to get married, it was a, a, a joyous occasion. And, but there was a lot of stress, a lot of stuff coming from outside, you know, trying to get at us and all that good stuff. But one of the fascinating things through that whole experience was how we had this huge community of people from different churches that we'd been involved in who just came around us and helped us get married and get started. It was awesome. Um, one of those uh, things was people volunteering their time and their service and even their, their gifting of things. So one uh, instance was that uh, there was the boss's wife of Angie's dad. Uh, they throw this huge cookout party thing every single year. They buy all this stuff from Costco, and it's just this huge summer bash. Uh, Angie's mom always is like, you know, it's Taurus picnic today. And anyway, but so this gal, she had offered to Angie, I'm going to cater your wedding. I, we're going to provide the food. We're going to do this thing. Well, scheduling didn't work out. She's like, I'm so sorry. This, this thing came up. I'm not able to do this. And I may not be, uh, this might be like 75% of the truth because some of those details are foggy as we're getting farther and farther away from that thing. But I know that she offered at that point, she's like, here's this money to go and either get a caterer to do the stuff or to buy the food so that you can do it. Well, um, Angie's mom had reached out. There was a gal in their church who had, and uh, a husband and wife duo, who had started this catering truck business thing. And so they said, hey, we'll do it. And we thought, awesome, this is so great. So uh, this is where the, the details get a little fuzzy, but feelings were hurt. So <coughs> bottom line is that what happened was we said, here's this money. So they went out and they bought a certain amount of food and they wanted to kind of get some kind of compensation for their time because they were just starting up this business. You know, it seemed all on the up and up, but we get down to it and at the reception, the, the caterer's wife goes up to uh, my mother-in-law now um, and says, hey, we need a check for X, Y, Z, or like for this amount. She's like, what are you talking about? You agreed to these terms, and 
and we expected these terms. We didn't expect you to do all this other stuff. And so just feelings were hurt, y'all. It was bad, bad news. So bad that like that following Sunday after the fact, like the pastor like was rebuking and correcting from the pulpit, which I'm not so very fond of, but he's like, y'all need to get your gossip under control and, and everything and like fix this division. That wasn't very helpful because both, both women were just staunchly in their sides and were not moving from their side. So eventually this other gal, you know, time goes on, there's just this huge rift and division over this issue. And what was right? What was the right thing in that moment? And differing opinions on what, you know, which principles you're going to apply in that, in that place. I use that as an example because we're all working out our faith with fear and trembling, right? We're, you know, for those of us who follow Jesus, um, we are a part of the people of God. We're working out our faith daily. And some of us are farther along than others. And also there are just times when like something presses your buttons and you just, you either offend somebody or somebody offends you and something happens and then suddenly there's division. And or, it, and that gets even worse if somebody's in like some position of authority and then you feel the person who's been wronged feels like, oh, now I feel oppressed. This is not good, <laughs> right? Uh, and I know that we're in a society today that kind of highlights that oppression mentality. But my point is this. In our passage today, unlike the opposition that was from outside of the family of God and everything that they were doing, today we're going to see Nehemiah have to deal with something that came up from inside the family opposition and against each other from inside, that conflict that arises, and to see what he does with that. So without further tarrying, as they used to say, let's turn together to Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah 5 beginning in verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives. Y'all, don't mess with the women. Um, and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. That's interesting. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. 
I took counsel with myself. That's interesting. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? They were silent and could not find a word to say. Hallelujah. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day? Wow, my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance yet for all this i did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people remember for my good oh my god all that i have done for this people amen all right fighting for family so it's interesting, um, the first observation that I have of what Nehemiah shows us to do in this endeavor to rebuild, but then what happens when you need to deal with something in, in the here and now, and the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and you got to just take care of you know, what's right in front of you. He listened to the people. He listened to others. He listened to others. So in the middle of this build in the middle of all the trouble coming from all these outside enemy forces, trouble from the inside of the family boiled up to the surface. 
And so the good things that were happening is the family was growing, but for all the parents in the room, you know when the family grows, so does your food budget, right? And so this meant they needed food. Um, and the family was going into debt, uh, which, you know, the, in the book of Proverbs, it says the, uh, the debtor is slave to the lender, right? So they're going into debt, but this is kind of like a slavery to them just to get food during the food shortage. How many of you have had to put food on credit card? Right? I have. Yeah. There was a whole season um, of life for me where I was serving at a church. And uh, not this one, so don't worry. Um, but I was serving at a church, and uh, part of the expectation was you had to tithe. Uh, I had a weekly report I had to fill out that said, are you tithing or is your tithe up to date? I'm like, sure, yes, yes it is, and we were actually. Um, and yet, we were having to put just basic staples on the credit card because I wasn't getting paid enough. Um, and granted, I had agreed to that salary, and, but the fact still remained, my kids needed food. Uh, if a tire blows on the car, you gotta replace the tires right? You know, things come up, and we were just getting into budgeting at the time, but we just, anyway, enough about me. But for these people, though, th these families who had been exiles in, you know, uh, Babylon and Persia and all over there, they had come back to the land, they were poor and destitute, and they were just trying to rebuild their life there, because that's where God had called his people to, and they were poor, and they were going into debt for food. Also, they were going into debt for taxes because taxes were too high for them. And so then they mortgaged their property because I can't, I can't afford the food. I can't afford the, the taxes. Now I got to mortgage my property to these officials who were there. And so the officials, I mean, they were making out pretty good, right? But, uh, but for the people, it was not good. And uh, it, it stirred up this contention because... These people were feeling the pinch and like oppression of, uh, of this. And they felt, well, and they were going into slavery as well. And so what's fascinating about the people of Israel is that for their family roots, they have a history of slavery, literal slavery. Um, uh, one of uh, the interesting ways to know that um, the people of Israel are telling the truth in Scripture is that, um, you know, very few, if any, uh, nations in the world start out their story with, we were slaves. And for us as a people, we were once slaves to sin. And yet, through the gracious rescue and restoration and redemption and all of that of God, of Jesus Christ, to save you. Now you are his children, and now you are children of promise, and you have freedom in his name. Amen? And yet sometimes we feel like we have to go back into debt because of different things that are going on, or that like, oh, I got to work this hard or do this thing because maybe what God provided isn't enough, 
or it feels like it's not enough. And so for these people, though, you know, this is pre-Jesus. And so Israel, they were a family with a history of slavery. They were freed from bondage from the land of Egypt, right? Uh, slavery, just as, uh, as a reality, it robs a person of their God-given identity. It kind of strips them down to just uh, an object, right? It objectifies them. Slavery, it robs a person of their social mobility. Um, we know that in our nation's history with the whole uh, debacle after the Civil War when uh, farmers in the South would say, oh, sure, you can still work on this land, but I'm going to charge you this amount, and the whole sharecropper uh, debacle happened there. And so it really, even though these people in our nation were free, they were still indebted as well. And so it, it limits and robs you of your social mobility. Another thing it does is it, it, it robs you of your God-given liberty that, you know, for the people of Israel, they were a people who were supposed to be free. God had freed them and had brought them into the land flowing of milk with milk and honey and the land of promise, and it was supposed to be this good thing. And yet now they're not experiencing that. And there's a whole host of reasons for that, but, you know, that's, that's the situation they are in. And so for Nehemiah, he's listening to them. And there, you know, when you're met with this response, especially for us in today's world, but when you're met with this response, you kind of have one of three options. You can either get sad, you can get mad, or indifferent. And you can just say, ah, that's too much for me to handle. I can't even deal with that. Um, and yet for Nehemiah, he's in a position where it's his job to deal with it. And so, um, it, it, you know, he has to. And, you know, this injustice demands an action. So uh, second thing we learn, you know, because God's good for his family is justice, mercy, and humility, the second thing we learn is from our passage is that rebuilding and fighting for family requires that you have tough conversations. It requires that you have tough conversations. Um, justice demanded a response. When Nehemiah heard that the people uh, had brought these charges against the officials, he got mad. I love that. It just says, I was very angry. This is the first time Nehemiah is angry in this book. It's amazing. Um, you might not think it is, but I do. And so I also think it's interesting that, you know, in every situation, Nehemiah goes to the prayer closet. Here, though, in verse 7, I love this. It says, I took counsel with myself. Not that, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's fascinating to me that it's not just that he was, you know, flying off the handle mad. He also knew God's word. He knew what was right, what God's word said and what the standard was and how they weren't living up to the standard that God had set for his people. He got mad. He thought about it. Other translations say, I thought this over, 
but he took counsel with himself. He didn't necessarily go to God for that. He just employed what God had already given him and that what he had received and knew about God and his character and who these people were supposed to be and how this was, there was an integrity gap, what's known, where it's like you say one thing and you do another, and you know whether there's integrity with those statements is what's in the middle. And the closer you are together, the more true you know, a, a lived out experience is, and the more of a gap there is, then that's where, oh, this doesn't have as much integrity, right? So he had the tough conversations, briefly. Um, I'm going to list off some scripture references. Um, I'm going to pull a gem a little bit and just kind of you, you take a walk through some passage, passages of the Old Testament, um, but they, they lead us to a point here. Uh, you'll see it in a second. And so they are Exodus 22:25, Exodus 22:25, Leviticus 25:35 through 42. I know, I know. I'm rattling it off because I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, hmm. Here we go. So Exodus 22, 25, and then Leviticus 25, 35 through 42. Another, uh, two more. Deuteronomy 23 through uh, 20. Uh, I'm, I need some coffee here. Deuteronomy 23:20 and then Ezekiel 22:12. Okay? All right. So in Exodus 22:25 it says um, God speaking to his people, he says, "If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal." charge no interest. That's a command. That's literally God saying to his people, this is not like you're dealing with somebody else. This is family. You don't charge family interest, right? At least we shouldn't. The Bible says that. Okay, Leviticus 25, 35 through 42 says, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, Help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors because the Israelites are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt. They must not be sold as slaves. Uh-oh. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. 
Now, I give emphasis there because isn't it fascinating? Remember, Nehemiah is dealing with the situation, and they're not lining up with what God's commanded. Okay, Deuteronomy 23:20. 20, it says, you may charge a foreigner interest, but not a fellow Israelite, so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything that you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. Now, I, I'm going to turn here, Ezekiel 22. So what's fascinating to me when I, I was looking this up is that this is literally a section that says, hold on. Oh, it doesn't say it as much in my ESV. But in the NIV, the, the section heading is judgment for Jerusalem. Where are we at in Nehemiah? They're in Jerusalem. And they're, kind of, they're repeating some things. Here we go. So 22.12, it says, In you are people who accept bribes to shed blood. You take interest and make a profit from the poor. You extort unjust gain from your neighbors, and you have forgotten me, declares the sovereign Lord. And so what's fascinating to me is that Jerusalem, the place that bears God's name, has this history of oppression. That, I know it's kind of a trigger word today, but systemic oppression, that they just kind of fall back into it, whether they like it or not, they just kind of default to slavery. Like, this is the system that we're going to work off of, slavery, debt, all of that, you know, that's the system that they try to work off of there. And so, Nehemiah, he goes about having the tough conversations where, you know, we see that he sets up the meeting between him and the officials. Man, what a gut-wrenching meeting that would have been to walk into. Uh, hopefully, he was still hopping mad, so not, you know, too much going on uh, in his stomach region. I don't know. But uh, he stepped right into the conflict. He had the tough conversations. And <clears throat> What was at stake here is their testimony about redemption, about how God had brought them back to this place, and he was restoring them and returning the exiles there, how they had even bought back slaves to come and like have them be there, right? And it was God's saving work to restore the Jews to their place among the nations, Slavery of God's people, as we saw in those passages, is an affront to God. It's like spitting in the face of God, if you will. Because they were a people who were supposed to be known by God's name. When people look at them, they get an idea of who God is or how good their God is. And yet, the way they were acting and treating their people it didn't give a good witness to who God was and is. You know, it's interesting, this last week I, I was exploring different things and I was reminded of the, the command in the Old Testament and it's all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, that God says, you are to be holy as I am holy. And that was both a command and, and an expectation and a call for Israel 
And for us as a fulfillment as the church, that's a call for us as well. And that call is to be holy, to be set apart, to be uh, perfect in, the, in that way as God is because people get an idea of who you are, well, of who God is by how we act and how we engage with each other. And that's why this is so important because they could rebuild a wall and maybe it might be the finest wall around because with God's help and God's grace, they, they were building it. But they would end up right back where they started because of God's judgment on Jerusalem saying, look, if you don't deal with this here, then you're going to end up the, the ridicule of the nations. They're going to, you know, it'll be a reproach to you. And so he had the tough conversations and the people responded. It was great. Um, Nehemiah laid it out clearly. Stop it. <laughs> Stop doing what you're doing, right? Stop doing the wrong action. The other thing to do, you know, return what doesn't belong to you. You know, kids, give back the toys that don't belong to you, right? You know, children of God, you know, there you go. Return what doesn't belong and pay the cost to make it right. And then fourth, that we see exhibited in the responses that commit to walk in the fear of the Lord, knowing who God is and knowing who we are in relation to him and knowing that we represent him to those around us, worshiping God, fearing God, and living like we do. God is faithful and he's just, and he's near to the brokenhearted, and Nehemiah holds those people to account. Um, I, I love that image of shaking off the robe. <laughs> I don't have a robe on, otherwise I'd shake it. But, you know, uh, you know that, just that image, and he's saying, you know, let it be done to you like is being done to my robes. That would be ter that's terrifying to have. And they say, amen, and then they worship. And so God's good for his family is justice, mercy, and humility. And so we see the, the last thing I want to just grab onto, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but is that Nehemiah lived out extreme integrity. He lived out extreme integrity. So much so that it came at a personal cost to him. He, he had his crew around him, his officials and everybody, and he fed them every day with all that list of everything, right? Um, what's interesting to me about living out extreme integrity, I was reminded this week, this will be my last story, I suppose, that um, my, when I was growing up, I was learning to play the guitar, and my uncle would come over, and he'd be like, Stan, that's my dad's name, uh, you know, Stan, I just got this new thing. Check it out. And like, so he'd bring all his stuff over. We'd play guitars together. Well, there was this one time we were playing out in our garage, uh, stereotypically, I guess. But anyway, so we're playing in the garage, we're playing, and my dad was plugged in to my uncle's amp. And for some unknown reason, we still don't know, the amp stopped working just quit. And my dad, I was 
floored because I'm like, well, it's our uncle, it's Uncle Bill's aunt. Like, he should be the one to fix it. But my dad was so committed to like, no, I broke it. I'm going to fix it. And so at a great personal cost to us at that time, my dad took it to this electronics place in Portland. And they fixed it. And it worked. This little 50-watt amp that he'd just gotten. And, um, but just seeing that model to me as a teenager when as a teenager, you're wrestling with integrity anyway, right? But to see that model, just that, that commitment that I know what's right and I know that this is wrong. And so now, because I broke it, I'm going to fix it. That, or that I'm at least going to be part of that process to fix it. Now, how this all pertains to us and our church you know, God's good for his family, that's us too today, right, is justice, mercy, and humility. Nehemiah was humble. I love the last statement there. Oh, I got to get back to Nehemiah. Where are we at? Nehemiah 5. Okay, Nehemiah, where <clears throat> Nehemiah humbly says, after all this has happened, he just says, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I've done for this people. He's not saying that to the people. He's not saying, look, I've done all this for you. <laughs> what are you going to do for me? That, that's not the situation. But uh, even some translations say, you know, have favor on me or like remember me with favor, God. And just that humility that even Nehemiah, after having dealt <coughs> with all these people, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> all these people and all their problems and all, you know, all the problems from without and within. And he still has that humility to say, God, remember me. So my encouragement for us today, <coughs> excuse me, once that tickle gets in there, okay, here we go. The encouragement, I believe, for us today. So we are a church that's in a, a, a season of rebuilding. Um, I love all the excitement and fervor that Angie had when she was giving announcements. We do. We have a lot of uh, good that's on the horizon. Um, it's really going to be a lot of exciting new things that are more just people-based and less project-based. It's just going to be like us connecting with each other and hopefully bringing other people in to connect as well. But what I'm encouraged by is that there is going to be conflict that comes up. And I'm not scared of that. Um, because where there's conflict, there's opportunity for growth. There's opportunity for healing. There's opportunity for us to be brought back together again. Um, there's opportunity for, <coughs> for people where if they've wronged somebody they, and they're made aware that they have, then they can repent and make it right. And we can go forward in unity together. And my prayer for our people 
and for the people who aren't even a part of our body yet, is that we would be a people who were concerned about God's justice and God's mercy among us, and that we were humble with each other, like Nehemiah, even when we get mad.